It's the Victorian Variety Show. A private carriage the other day drove up to the main entrance of the Volksgarten in Vienna. Both the driver and the footman were clad in deep mourning, and the horses were covered with black harness and trappings. There stepped out of the carriage a governess and three little girls who were dressed in deep black from head to foot. Their appearance created a certain sensation among the bystanders, which was heightened by the fact that each of the three little girls carried in her arms a large doll, which was attired in deep mourning. The mourning doll is the latest freak of fashion as an outward and visible token of bereavement. This is the Victorian Variety Show podcast, in which I talk about a wide variety of topics that you probably didn't hear too much about when you studied the Victorian era in school, or that you usually don't see the mainstream media discuss too often, because I think we often can learn just as much from the lesser known topics as we can from the ones that we're all familiar with. And also, no matter where you are in the world, History is never as far behind us as we think it is. And in fact, it's much easier to repeat it than many of us would like to admit. I think a lot of us are seeing that on a number of fronts right now, but I digress. My name is Marissa, and the excerpt I just read is from an article that's from the Wirarapa, I apologize if I mispronounced that, Daily Times of Masterton, New Zealand from September 18th 1889 that I found in the Victorian Book of the Dead by Chris Woodyard, which I'm currently reading. I found this passage interesting in part because even though it's not long, it paints a very vivid picture of a powerful scene, although as a fan of the illustrator Edward Gorey, I do have to admit that when I try to picture this, um, if I were to see it as an illustration, I definitely think there would be like a gory-esque aura about it. That's what I think. However, I also find the term freak of fashion in the article surprising, being that it was written during the Victorian era, even though I wouldn't be at all surprised to see language like that in a modern day piece written on this type of event. I've decided to focus on two topics in this week's episode, morning dolls and death kits, partly because I think they're kind of related. Even though morning dolls were basically created in response to children dying, whereas death kits were more of a response to the amount of death children were exposed to in the Victorian era. But it seems to me like there are even more examples out there of things that we would commonly consider toys today that actually helped children cope with and learn more about the mourning process. Even though they weren't just for children, particularly in the case of mourning dolls, in fact, some of the sources that I looked at actually said mourning dolls were mainly for parents of deceased children. But This would suggest to me that at the time, uh, mourning dolls and death kits were not, in fact, freaks of fashion, 
or at least not freaks. As to whether or not mourning dolls have been in fashion since the Victorian era, well, we'll get into that. At any rate, one thing I do want to stress before I go any further is that I will be discussing the deaths of children, so this may be a good episode to skip if that's a difficult topic for you. Although death lingers over a number of topics I've discussed in more recent episodes, like the one I did on tuberculosis back in April, and more recently, my discussion of Victorian-era taxidermy, I haven't really done a what you might call a death-centric episode since the beginning of this year. So if you just discovered this show, and possibly are only starting to learn more about the Victorian era, I'll do a quick recap now. The Victorian era was a time when, in both the UK and the US, as well as in many other parts of the world, such as France, Germany, some other countries, it was very easy to die at a young age, whether it was from war, tuberculosis, cholera, or other illnesses, or maybe ingestion of arsenic. I did an episode on arsenic a few months back as well because it was present in a wide variety of consumer goods or industrial type accidents to name just a few possible reasons. Instead of avoiding reminders of death, as many people largely in Western cultures are wont to do today, those living during the Victorian era faced death head on adhering to elaborate mourning rituals, respecting public displays of grief, and creating many examples of memento mori, which according to Merriam-Webster, translates to quote, remember you must die, end quote. And unlike today, when, despite the fact that active shooter drills are now part of school curricula across the United States, but again, I digress, Many children in Western cultures are still largely shielded from death. Children of past eras were raised with the understanding that they might die young, or if they didn't, their siblings or friends might die young, or they might lose their parents or other trusted family members. According to a Wikipedia article on Victorian mourning dolls, prior to the Victorian era, and particularly in Puritan New England, Adults usually discuss death in children in connection with sin and eternal damnation. But over time, the message of fear seems to have given way to one that stressed the possibility of reuniting with loved ones in heaven, as well as practicality. Since during much of the Victorian era, most people died at home, and the families would prepare the bodies and display them prior to burial at home. As a result, kids knew they'd probably attend, and at some point participate in, a lot of funerals throughout their lives. According to Kate Sherrill, in an article called The World of Victorian Grave Dolls, a mourning doll's quote-unquote life usually began at an infant's wake. Wax was sculpted around weights made from sand, which gave the bodies the proper heft and feel and the models were decorated with the deceased child's hair and clothing. In general, the facial features of these dolls were accurate depictions of the children that they memorialized. But since many children during this time died of illnesses that disfigured or drained them, such as tuberculosis, smallpox, scarlet fever, and such, 
The dolls presented what Cheryl calls a quote unquote idealized reality of the deceased. As Cheryl explains, quote, while their child may have departed gaunt and bloody, the wax effigy would look as though it had simply closed its eyes and gone to sleep, end quote. These dolls had flat backs, and the backs of their heads were usually flat as well, since they were generally displayed lying beside the deceased child in miniature coffins or in frames. And according to Shannon Quinn, in 10 strange morning items from the Victorian era, dolls were sometimes displayed and or buried in place of the deceased child such as in cases of stillbirth or miscarriage, or if the child was lost outside the home. Due to both the careful thought and handiwork that went into creating them, as well as the materials, these dolls carried pretty significant price tags. So, as Cara Brand notes in the eerie story behind Victorian morning dolls, you were most likely to see them among well-to-do families, rather than more working class ones. And it's important to note that for the most part, mourning dolls were made primarily for very young children, from birth to around age three. If you wanted a sculpture of an older child made, they would most likely be portrayed from the shoulders up, as in maybe a bust, not only due to cost, but also size, which makes sense because, at least to me, a life-size wax model of a child seems much more appropriate for, say, a display at Madame Tussauds than at a wake. Also, while researching this episode, I saw a number of stone sculptures that were created to represent deceased children at the grave sites. In the episode I did last September on Victorian death and mourning practices, I'm pretty sure I mentioned that the design of tombstones became much more elaborate during this era so many included statues such as these. But in addition to larger and fancier grave markers, it was also common to leave items that held meaning on graves, such as flowers and wreaths, books, ceramic hands, beads, maybe a rosary here and there, and dolls. Unfortunately, many of these dolls did not survive, either due to vandalism or to exposure to the elements. But Brand explains that some families took the dolls home with them after their children were buried, quote, leaving the mourning doll to rest in the infant's crib, changing it and caring for it as one might an actual child, end quote. Brand also goes on to say that we have something similar today. They're normally referred to as reborn dolls and they're baby dolls with extremely lifelike features that are usually made from silicon or vinyl and, according to Wikipedia, often come with their own birth or adoption certificates. Some people who own these dolls are doll collectors, but others are parents who've lost a child either prior to birth or shortly thereafter and can essentially treat them as a substitute for the lost child. Some believe that doing so can help a parent cope with the loss of their child, 
but the current Apple TV series, which you might have seen called Servant, suggests that it's possible for a parent to become so attached to their reborn doll that they actually believe it's their still living child. If you haven't seen Servant, it has a lot of elements of psychological horror, or at least the first two seasons did. I haven't seen season three yet, but since M. Night Shyamalan's the executive producer, I imagine the show is still pretty dark and somewhat disturbing. But I think Morning Dolls are a good example of something from the Victorian era that a lot of people might hear about today and right away they think, wow, that's creepy. When in reality, it's similar to something that's still done today. Although in fairness, a lot of people today are creeped out by lifelike dolls or make that any kind of dolls, regardless of whether they were made 150 years ago or last week, which I kind of understand. That said, some contemporary artists make mourning dolls in the style of the ones from the Victorian era, such as Flo Kane, who, according to an article on the FNUF website called Artist Creates Victorian Mourning Dolls to Honor Death, is fascinated by how we currently grieve and talk about death and has said, quote, I like the idea of creating dolls dressed in deep mourning and keeping their faces blank because our grief is often held and unexpressed publicly, end quote. The article explains that Kane includes little messages on the bodies of her dolls like I carry you and gives them names that were common during the Victorian era. Death kits also often included dolls that were dressed in mourning clothes, miniature coffins for them, and guidebooks on mourning etiquette, according to an article on the Werther and Gray blog called The Era of the Beautiful Death. Werther and Gray suggest that families made these kits for their children, but based on other sources I looked at, it seemed like there might have been some commercially made death kits available too. I don't know for sure at this point. I'm always curious about stuff like that. But at any rate, these kits were intended to educate children so that when the time came, they would know what to do. As Louise Hung explains in Cabinet of Curiosities, Victorian Death Dolls, Victorian girls normally learned etiquette and skills like sewing and knitting and conducting tea parties by playing with dolls. So I think it makes sense that dolls also existed during this time to familiarize girls with the funerary arts. In this case, the girls would practice dressing the doll, placing it in the coffin, and laying it out for viewing, and might also be asked to attend to grieving mourners. Hung explains that throughout the Victorian era, it was considered important for girls to have these skills because, quote, there was a high likelihood that a woman would be called upon to care for the dead. That's what women did, end quote. And in general, there were a lot of rules about how long women, but not men, should mourn and what they should wear during mourning a topic which I'm planning to discuss more in my next episode, so hopefully you'll stay tuned for that. Based on the sources that I used, mourning dolls and death kits declined in popularity around the beginning of the 20th century. 
mortality rates for many illnesses that were common during the 19th century were beginning to decline thanks to scientific advances and better hygiene among doctors and medications. Of course, there were still exceptions for mortality rates, such as the Spanish flu pandemic that began in 1918. Also, attitudes toward excessive mourning were changing around this time. Woodyard notes that during World War I, deep mourning was viewed as bad for morale. And to me, it also seems that we're, there were a few other key factors in play. This is going to be a very brief overview of the funeral industry. I may have touched on some of this before in previous episodes, and I may also explore it a bit more in the next episode. But during much of the Victorian age, as I mentioned, many funerals were held at home and a lot of people died at home, which is why the family played such an important role in the funeral process. However, as the funeral industry grew and more and more deceased individuals were prepared for viewing by professionals, the majority of whom for decades were male, although women now make up a significant percentage of funeral directors and mortuary school students, those viewings were held outside the home in funeral parlors. And as the funeral industry grew and the responsibilities shifted from the family to funeral directors, due to the advances in medical care that I just mentioned, more people were being treated for illnesses in hospitals, which meant that eventually more people were dying at hospitals than at home, many more. And that put a distance between families and their dying loved ones that I don't think ever existed before. I'm sure that there are even more contributing factors, but I think you can see that a lot of evolution was happening at the same time. And in that type of environment, it can be very easy for traditions like mourning dolls and death kits to disappear. And now I would love to know what you think. Email me at the Victorian Variety Show at gmail.com or leave me a voice message at anchor.fm slash marissa hyphen d96 slash message. You can also follow me on Twitter if you don't already at at Victorian Variety One. And if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do so in a few ways. You can buy me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13 or leave a tip on the Good Pods app if you're listening there, or on my brand new Linktree page at https colon slash slash l-i-n-k-t-r period e-e slash the Victorian Variety Show, one word. Also, if you can take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening, I would greatly appreciate it because it helps the show reach more listeners. And last, but certainly not least, I would like to take a moment to thank a few listeners. I mentioned in my last episode that I'm going to do this from now on because I'm so grateful for all of the great feedback you give me and the ways that you help support the show. This keeps me motivated to continue looking for high-quality content in preparation for each episode and present it to you in a way that makes you stay intrigued and hopefully want to learn more. So this week, 
I would like to start by thanking Tess, who gives me wonderful feedback on each of my episodes and also retweets my announcements, which has really helped in getting the word about this show out there. Tess has also recommended me a few times to people looking for new podcasts to listen to, and it's all amazing. Tess, I cannot thank you enough, and I am so happy to know you. I feel so fortunate to be able to know my listeners and know that you're getting something from my show. It's the best feeling. And even though I've enjoyed meeting a lot of you through Twitter, I'm interested in finding other ways to interact. And something that allows me to do that is Anchor's Q&A feature. I think that the questions are currently available only on Spotify right now, and I've only used it a few times so far. But I wanna take a moment to thank the Peachtree's Techie, who responded to the question that I asked for the episode in which I read a few Edgar Allan Poe poems a few weeks ago. I'm going to be posting more questions there in the future. I'll probably do it unannounced because I, you know, I like to throw in surprises here. But if you listen to this show on Spotify, feel free to check to see if I posted a question because I really like hearing what you have to say. And thank you all for listening to this episode. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode in which, as I mentioned, I'll be discussing some of the rules that women in mourning adhered to during the Victorian era. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with another short piece that I found in Woodyard's book, which looks like it originally ran in the New York Tribune on December 29th, 1880. I like the scene that's described because even though it strikes me as an advertisement for services, it also appears to be an attempt to comfort the bereaved that's well thought out and finely detailed. It made me wonder how a scene like this in the window of a funeral home would go over today. We might think at first that it would freak people out, but considering what we saw with reborn dolls and contemporary artists finding inspiration in Victorian mourning dolls, really, who knows? A second Av undertaker displays in his window a miniature hearse drawn by four prancing horses and a little coffin with a doll inside, surrounded by a group of mourning dolls. The whole thing is well adapted to bring a smile even to the faces of the recently bereaved.